This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 129. We're recording on Friday, October 23rd. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. We're down to it. We are. It's so close. By the time this comes out, two weeks to go to Book Riot Live. And we have a schedule. So uh, Book Riot Live, if if you are listening to the show, which if you're not, um, this won't matter to you at all and you won't be hearing this. How does that even work? Is it Schrodinger's podcast? Uh, Yeah, maybe. So uh, the schedule is up. So if you go to bookriotlive.com slash schedule or schedule the tab at the top under programming, you can see the whole deal. There are still tickets left for Friday night cocktail hour at the Strand. Um, which is sponsored by Hendrix Gin, so we're having all gin drinks there. And we're coming up with punny um, drink names, and they're a riot. So we're going to have a couple there. So that's one thing. That's 40 bucks. Uh, and th- if you haven't been to the Strand Rare Books Room, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's really cool to see that. I did a live recording of the Reading Lives podcast there with Thani Nadidi a little while ago. But we're the first things cooking on the schedule. Did you notice this? Yes. 10 a.m. on November 7th. So there are one and two day passes available. So if you just wanted, if you only got time for one day and you want to come see us, it's on November 7th, Saturday, and we're the first thing going at 10 a.m. Uh, we're up against, unfortunately, we have to be up against someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're up against things probably that are more interesting than us, including our, our <laughs> including. pal Daniel Jose Older and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Marco Shihiro and Eliza Baker and uh, Lucy Nisley and uh, Alicia Ray. Anyway, it's going to be a smorgasbord of choices. We wanted to make the programming decisions you had to make, attendance choices, hard. Yep. That was the idea, right? Um, and we'll so, have been up since 4 a.m., so yeah, come watch us do a live loaded, podcast. So, uh, <laughs> We'll probably be six coffees and ten donuts apiece into the day already, uh, which should make for interesting recording. But that's the first thing cooking. So if, if you're interested in coming, seeing us, and you've got time for one day, that's where we're at. We're Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Um, Two-day tickets are available. If you use offer code WHEELHOUSE, you get $20 off that ticket. Uh, that's one word. So go to bookwritelive.com to, to check it out there. The Saturday Night Strand tickets are all sold out, but Friday night's still available um, all sorts of good stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's coming up quick. Awesome couple of days. Bookwritelive.com. Uh, uh, let's let's do our let's do our first sponsor. Okay. Was your first sponsor? I think we should. Okay. Well, here's the deal. Like buying mattresses is a horror show. Uh, you go. So here's the thing. I, the last time I went into a showroom to buy a mattress, you first of all you're you're already tired by the time you get there. I don't know why this happens. <laughs> you're tired, and so all the mattresses feel good already. And they all start feeling the same. And they all feel the same. It's yeah, It's like yeah. reverse Goldilocks. Everything's right. fine. Yeah, they need, I don't know, they need like a, a bed of nails or something. Kind of like when you do a wine tasting and you smell coffee between the wine. Mm-hmm. Like some of the reset, how comfortable everything is. It's high pressure. The pe- You know, a lot of the salespeople work on commission. They're trying to get you to buy something there. They want to sell you the mattress. They want to upsell you and they want to give you the spill protection and the blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of pseudoscience about you know, sleep numbers and, uh, you know, heat dissipation and lumbar support. I don't think lumbar is a thing. I think chiropractors made up lumbars. <laughs> anyway, that's a separate issue. The, the whole thing is very, it's not fun. It's really not, not great. Um, and so lo and behold, here comes the internet. And with the internet, you don't have to go places to internet buy Internet to the it's rescue, the best, man. Right? You can, you can buy a new bed from your old bed. Um, and Casper Mattresses makes it really easy. It's obsessively engineered, American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. Really shockingly fair. Really right? shockingly fair. These are high-end mattresses. I'm going to tell you about the price in a minute. But if you don't listen to the rest of the spot or you, you don't remember anything else, remember this. Go to casper.com slash riot 
and use the code right and you get 50 bones off. That's that's a metaphor for money, $50 off. Um, you spend Thanks a third of your life. Note. You get you spend a third. Well, I don't know if people know early '90s hip hop slang. <laughs> I don't know if that's still around still because I am of the street. Um, you spend a third of your life sleeping. I I spend less than that. I should sleep more, and you should you should get a good mattress. It, you owe it to yourself to good mattress. Two technologies for a better sleep: latex foam and memory foam. That, that that's it. There's no there's no there's no fluff. There's no there's no extra trying to ensorcel you with hand gestures and charts showing blue lines and red lines flying around. It, it's got the right sink and just the right bounce. So you sink in a little bit, but it also supports you. And the risk free trial and return policy. Because this is what you're saying. Well, I, the thing about a showroom is I can try it on if I don't like it. Like it feels like a bed of nails to me. Then I just don't buy that one. If I buy one off the internet, what's going to happen? Well, here's what happens. They deliver it straight to you, and there's a hundred day trial period. And if you're not happy, they pick it up. You don't have to like strap it to the top of your uh, uh, your Volkswagen Beetle and drive it back and try to get it back in the thing. It's all, they deliver it. It comes in these like suction rolled uh, like uh, wrap things so you can get it up the stairs. My brother bought one. He was telling me this story about how he opened it up and uh, sliced right through the mattress with his X-Acto knife because he wasn't careful. But uh, even then, uh, even then, he really, really liked it. Didn't have any problem with it. But he said the same thing. He's like, I wasn't sure. Seemed like a good price, but I didn't lay on it. But that 100-day trial thing really gave me confidence that I would give, uh, I'd give it a good shot. So uh, you go to Casper.com. There's a lot of different sizes. Going from 500 bucks to a twin size mattress to 950 for a king size mattress. There's not a lot of choices here. There's there's twin, king, queen, and that's it. Keep it simple. You know, then compare that to a high end mattress from uh, you know another high end reseller. And you're going to find that you know it's it's tough to get out of a a mattress store with a high end mattress for less than 2,000 bucks. I mean, I've been there. I've seen them. Trust me on this one. <laughs> um, you know, you're going into the holiday seasons. It's it's time to get a new mattress. Yeah, I think this is the season also of getting in. We call it a bed party in my house. You get uh-huh. in bed, you pile up your books, and you've got movies queued up on Netflix or whatever. Yes. And you got your snacks nearby. And if you're going to do that through the fall and winter, which, like, let's be real, that's what we're all doing. That's right. You need a good mattress. Yeah, I mean, who knows how much Netflix are being watched on mattresses? So many. I mean, we're we're not even including all like the other Netflix and Chill is probably brought to you by Casper mattresses. Yeah, that's right. So you know, you got to be suit up, suit up, guys, and, <laughs> and get a good mattress here um, for the holiday season and everything you're gonna be doing with the mattress here. Okay, <laughs> and everything you're gonna be doing. Yeah, just let it lie. Just let it lie. <laughs> Just let it lie. Okay, we you know let's we could, let's do some news, man. I got I need to recover. Do a whole podcast just on rolling, etc. Yes, right. I mean, we could do one where it's just like all the Harry Potter news. Um, so the big news, really today, it broke today. If we had recorded yesterday, we, we would have missed this for next week. Is we're getting more details about the Harry Potter play that's starting in previews in London in June. Um, there was this weird, I don't know, confusion or disinformation campaign. I don't know what's happening, but apparently they said it was about James Potter, and we're like, what? And then Rowling said it's not a prequel. I'm like, wait, how is it about James Potter? It's not a prequel. I don't know what all that was because it's totally not about James not Potter. Not at all. Not even it's a little about, bit. It's about Harry 19 years later after the timeline of the books is over, 19 years after it's the books. Harry end. Potter and the Tale of the Midlife Crisis. I, I guess. So I guess he's going to be about 36. Yeah. Is that right? Overworked employee of the Ministry of Magic, a husband and father of three school-aged children. So he's basically uh, the he's basically uh, what's the dad's the Weasley dad name? He's basically that guy now. He's got a bunch of kids. He's working for the Ministry of Magic. 
Um, and it's focusing on him and, and Albus. And I guess Albus is having trouble living with his dad's legacy. But it's it's a proper, and as they say, you go to Harry HarryPotterThePlay.com and they call it the eighth story in the Harry Potter saga. Like it is the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess is exciting. I mean, it's super weird and interesting that this is the way this is all going down. There's parts one and two. I don't know what that means. Are there going to be two different plays? Like, I'm I'm fascinated by this whole thing. Why this format? Why now? She says that that she wouldn't have done this, but the the writer and director came to her with an idea. It's like, hmm. was it their idea for a story or how to stage it? Or I don't know. We're gonna be we're gonna be getting drips and drabs of how this comes out until we actually see the play. When it yeah, it says parts one and two, but then it lists like it says Harry Potter and the Cursed Child parts one and two, a new play based on. So like. I don't. Are there parts three and four down the road that'll be another play? It's, yeah, is it like Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope, and that's the first one? Like, wait a minute, what? I don't. This, many questions as a usual. lot of questions here. One question you're all going to be asking is uh, when it starts starts in previews in June. Tickets go on sale October 28th. So if you're mm. if you're seriously trying to go see this, and I'm not kidding about this, mark your calendar for October 28th because. I was joking around on Twitter this morning. It's like, has there ever been a hotter ticket than this will be? And I don't know much about theater. I, I'm just sort of spitballing. But I can't imagine a theater experience that has this sort of mass appeal. Mm-hmm. That, you know, people are going to – and it's not like you can have 10,000 movie screens showing the movie opening weekend. There's one, there's one set right. of actors. <laughs> um, I would assume – that it's going to come to New York or other, you know, probably tour and things down the road. But that takes, theater takes forever. Uh, my, my good friend Jeremy works in theater and musical theater. And the timelines for it is like, you think, you think book timelines are slow? Oh, my God. Musical theater. It's like you can, you, you, know, you know, they use, um, they don't use calendars. They, they use the rings on the sycamore trees <laughs> to, to, to schedule when the plays are going to come out because that, that's how long it takes. So if you want to see this anytime soon, you're going to need to be in London next summer, and you're going to need to be on your internet on October 28th. We know some of y'all live there, so please, yeah, if, I know, you're, if I you know. go, you know, let us know in another nine months how it is. But yeah, let us I'm know sure first we'll how long hear. it takes you to I get tickets. I'm sure we will hear. Um, <laughs> someone, I, someone said that Cumberbatch's Hamlet was maybe the hottest ticket they'd ever seen in their lifetime, uh, which I totally understand, but this is different. I mean, you can see Hamlet with a lot of famous people. We don't know yet. I don't think we know who's going to be playing grown-up no. Harry Potter on stage, no. so that might also have. Yeah, an effect why would on... you get someone famous though? I mean, why pay for? I mean, get someone good and unknown, and you, you don't have to pay them Cumberbatch money. True, or you get Daniel Radcliffe, and you can pay him Daniel Radcliffe oh, money. Oh God, I didn't even th- I didn't even think about that. Uh, he's probably not old enough, but you know, they could put some. He's, fake they could put some. Yeah, they could make him up to look a little older, and yeah. he has stage experience. He does uh, naked naked stage experience if they want to go. <laughs> that show title. <laughs> That's that's a little that's a little PG. We're already running a little bluer than I'd like uh, today. Okay, anything else about that? Uh, no, let's go to the weirder J.K. Rowling news. Yeah, our head scratching Rowling. <laughs> we, we've been following the Robert Galbraith saga just because a it was super fascinating the way it all broke down, uh, and now the the charade continues. Um, I, this is doubling down on it, or what, what do you I think this is? I think she can only get away with this because she's J.K. Rowling. It's just kind of weird and silly. Like, yeah, I she's, just, she's gonna, she's gonna. I sit don't. Or I fully a, don't get it. <laughs> a, a radio interview um, called Drive Time in uh, in in Merry Old England. She's gonna sit as Robert Galbraith. Like, are they gonna distort her voice? Is I, she I gonna wear a 
man's trench coat and those those fake glasses with a mustache attached? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It's radio, so um, how do you I, get into characters? A right? fake mustache on radio it doesn't help you too it's much. It's to make I her feel think. better, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, it's she's method. It's, she's, she's method. She's me- clearly J.K. Rowling is a method actor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't. Maybe it's just fun for her at this. That's the only. That, that's the only thing I can think of at this point is that no one's fooled. Like, well, like Nora Roberts writes under the name J.D. Robb, but Nora Roberts wasn't going out doing interviews as J.D. Yeah. Robb. Like it. I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. I hope she's having fun with it because we are all scratching our heads. I hope they post it online and we can all listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be online. Like uh, the new book apparently is good. Uh, what's it? Uh, the Career of Evil. Career of Evil, which um, I've heard good things about and several of our readers have uh, have read and yeah, these, had said good things her about. Her Cormorant Strike books are popular and they seem yeah. to have be well received, but it, this is so interesting. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's it's very interesting. So those that's our that's our uh, that's a Diagon Alley Rowling News Corner for you there. Okay, let's go to the wider book publishing world. A um, couple of uh, diversity related things. One good, one bad. Uh, the Kirkus Prize winners were announced this week. Is this the first year of the Kirkus Prize or the second year? This they, is the second year. The second year. Um, they started last year uh, their own book prize. Um, Kirkus, the venerable uh, review publication, um, mm-hmm. they probably review more books professionally than any other outlet. They, that's what they do. They don't really have opinion pieces or anything else like that, but they review almost everything mm-hmm. that comes out. And these are big uh, prizes, $50,000 $50, to each winner. Just, just for some um, perspective, the National Book Award, I think, is 5000 mm-hmm. and the Pulitzer is ten. Um, those also move some units, but this is these are, this is cash on the barrel here. Um, let's see, uh, Coates's "Between the World and Me" earned the honors in nonfiction, mm-hmm. and let's see what else. A here. little life, one in fiction. Um, Pam Munoz Ryan's "Echo" won the Young Readers Literary Prize, mm-hmm. um, and in addition to just telling you about that, it's also all people of color, which is. Interesting. Yeah, I can't remember if I've ever seen a lineup of winners of a mainstream major literary award where every single yeah. one of them. It's you, usually we're just hoping that there will be a person of color selected um, for the for the long lists and for the short lists that the lists won't be totally whitewashed. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a list where all of the winners were people of color. I haven't either. Um, I don't know anything about Ryan's book, uh, I, I have to say. But it's also interesting that like, I think A Little Life and Between the World and Me are totally non-surprises here. Oh, like, I it's agree. Pe- it's people of color and totally non-surprise. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I don't know if that's worth pointing out. It's just neither of these are like under the radar books. <laughs> if <laughs> yeah. you, if you pay A Little attention Life to has been though. like the it novel of... The year, and I don't think there's anything it could win that would be surprising at this point. No, no, no. Maybe something for a young adult uh, that would be a sh- or children's. Uh, yeah, and and Coates, I think is the I think the front runner for all the nonfiction awards for this year. And anything that between the world and me is eligible for, I think he's the front mm-hmm. runner for. Both because it's good, but also he's having a moment, and he won the MacArthur Genius Prize. I don't know if we talked about that on the show. Uh, he and Ben Lerner. Uh, and then um, the woman who wrote Hamilton, where this wrote the, I can't remember her name, Melanie Lynn or something like that. Uh, anyway, they won the MacArthur Genius Awards. I'm always interested in the people w- winning that. So Coates is definitely, um, you know, 
a front runner. As I, I'm just going to mm-hmm. keep saying front runner until I think <laughs> of a synonym. Um, but yeah, but worth noticing. And I don't know if I, I looked at the they, they don't seem to have diversity built into their what are they wanting to do. I think they're going sort of straight merit for what you know, quote unquote, yeah, it, I, I formidable literary achievement. Mm-hmm. You know? To uh, be considered, the writer had to receive a starred review from the Kirkus Literary Journal. And these winners were selected from a pool of 1,032 eligible books. Yeah. Uh, this piece doesn't say how that breaks down across the different categories, you know, like how many young adult contenders right. there were and how many uh, fiction and nonfiction contenders there were. But there, I don't think either of those are a surprise no. At all. Um, both big books in multiple senses of the word big this year. Um, and A Little Life. You know, interesting to note that the um, writer is a person of color and one of the main characters, arguably the main character, even though A Little Life rotates between uh, four voices, uh, is a gay man. And there have mm-hmm. been some great essays about considering A Little Life as a gay novel or a novel about what it is to be um, a gay American man. So really interesting, uh, multiple, you know, life experience stories being told in these books. Yeah. So uh, probably if you listen to this show, you've heard of the first two books, but um, Ryan's Echo, mm-hmm. you know, if the if prizes are the kind of thing that gets you to check something out, that'd be one worth checking out. Okay. The not so good news on the diversity angle, um, at least. Uh, Publishers Weekly annual survey of the industry publishing industry workforce mm-hmm. came out. I don't know why it takes them until October to release 2014's information, but here we are anyway. Um, they sent questionnaires were sent to more than 5,800 publisher week, publishers weekly subscribers at publishing houses. They only got 425 responses. So as we do methodology corner, that's important to keep in mind. Credit to Publishers Weekly for also saying the data reflects, you know, some bias in who responded, blah, 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 which mm-hmm. is totally fair. Yeah, and thank you just for giving us those raw numbers. Yes, the raw number is very helpful. Um, some things noticeably different, some things d- distressingly the same. Mm-hmm. The number that really shocked me was the median age of the respondents in one year dropped seven years mm-hmm, from, from 42. 42 to 35, which that is an, enorm- that's yeah, an enormous number. There's there's no way to know, and they acknowledge, Publishers Weekly acknowledges in this piece that we can't know if this is just a younger set of employees responding to the survey or if publishers have been successful in replacing older, experienced, and thus more expensive employees with younger and less expensive ones. Or they're hiring more people Mm because the industry is up on the whole and those new hires tend to be entry. You know, there's a couple of ways you could look at it. Some possible confounding factors there. Yeah. Or it could be, it could be randomness. You know, you have a small data set, Went yeah. on on a Friday yeah. and only the young people were, you know, like there's all right. kinds yeah. of Yeah, you don't know. The median number of years that respondents have worked in publishing fell from 13 in 2013 to nine and last year. Um, marked changes in the percentage of respondents with fewer than three years of experience. In 2013, 8% of the respondents had fewer than three years of experience. In 2014, 19%, so it more than doubled, um, have of 19% of the respondents had fewer than three years of experience. Uh, and the share of workforce made up by the most experienced employees declined. Um, the things were not the things that are the same that we're not super jazzed about is the disparity in pay between genders. Mm -hmm. Um, The pay fell also markedly, as you might expect from a younger workforce or a younger respondent cohort, you know, whatever 
whatever you draw between that. The average salary for a man was $70,000 last year, down from $85,000 in 2030. <laughs> Just an enormous haircut. Mm -hmm. um, and for women, from 61000 to 51000 So a $19,000 pay gap remains. Uh, that actually shrank in absolute terms. But I think if you did in terms of percentage, it would actually be bigger mm -hmm. if my uh, – uh, back of the laptop math is uh, is holding up there. Yeah. So that continues to be, to be a problem. Particularly interesting because women dominate the publishing workforce about between 73 and 77% of the respondents in the last few years um, to this survey have been women, if that's representative at all. Women are really outnumbering men in publishing, but the men are making more money. Um, employees and management are where the greatest concentration of men are, and those managers take home the highest pay. So. Um, and in terms of diversity, we were holding steady at 89% white. Um, not great. Not great. Uh, the largest minority population, uh, ethnic, or excuse me, racial minority population, Asians were 5% of the workforce. That's up from 3% the year before, which means actually other groups are less represented <laughs> year over right. year. Um, especially, the, you know, the largest uh, American racial groups of uh, uh, black and Latino or Hispanic down. Um, no real change in racial composition of the workforce. Um, only 20%, 21% of respondents felt that strides have been made in diversifying the industry's yeah, workforce. Is, I, I don't know what they're looking at. I think this is the first time they've asked these perception mm. questions about yeah. diversity issues where they just asked respondents have basically, do you feel like strides have been made in improving diversity in the workforce and have strides been made in improving title diversity? Um, and it looks yeah. like the respondents agreed, more non-white respondents agreed than white respondents did that uh, strides have been made in title diversity. 66% of non-white respondents said they thought improvements had been made in offering diverse titles. Um, but there's also an agreement that strides have not been made in improving diversity in the workforce. Um, so mm -hmm. that's, that's an interesting thing that we're starting, that we're seeing with the talk about we need diverse books that publishers are paying attention, more attention, I still don't think sufficient attention, um, to putting out diverse titles and to publishing works by people of color and books about people of color. Um, and they're maybe increasing their marketing budgets to reach those target audiences that aren't white, but we don't have a publishing workforce yet uh, that is seeing those changes as well, um, so that there are people of color in the room when important decisions about which books to publish and about which policies to enact and all of those things are, are being done. So sort of progress on one front, but not on the other uh, larger front. Uh, the reasons the respondents give for for failing to make better progress on the hiring, at least in the industry, things I think are both obvious and, I don't know, intractable to some degree at this point. Entrenched leadership that includes people, few people of color, mm -hmm. low starting salaries and unpaid internships that together discourage minorities from applying to entry-level jobs and not enough effective outreach. Um, so, but a number of respondents do believe that companies have tried to broaden the workforce, but those efforts will take some time. And they are going to take time. Sure. I mean, I don't think this is one thing where next year, if um, the number is 81% white, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, something like that would that would mean a huge increase year over year. So this is something that's going to take a multi-year, possibly multi-decade sure, yeah, consistent effort. If um, Even if huge efforts are made to bring in more people of color, you know, at entry level and give them the opportunities to climb the corporate ladders within the publishing houses, that's decades probably before they reach senior and management mm -hmm. positions and have the power to continue affecting structural change within those corporations. Um, let's see. 
top complaints. Let's see, yeah, <laughs> that they don't get paid enough. Yeah, um, it's kind of the same thing that I would guess would be top complaints about working in any corporation, that your salary is too low, the workload is too high, lack of advancement opportunities, lack of recognition for your own work, problems with management. But like lack of recognition is a management problem, <laughs> I would yeah, say. Uh, in terms of industry health, a couple of interesting things here. Um, 81% of respondents said that they were somewhat secure or very secure in their job, mm -hmm. which is the highest they have on this chart. Um, the highest certainly since 20, 2006, mm -hmm. um, which is inter that's super interesting to me that that's so high. In 2006, so this is really, this is pre-iPhone, this is really before the Kindle gets cooking, Right. the number was only 77%. So more, you know, meaningfully more... Actually, I don't know if that's statistically know. significant yeah. or not. We don't know. No way to know. But in, in raw numbers, uh, more more satisfied. In terms of their company's staffing levels, 50, 58% of the respondents said they were holding steady and 26% expanding and only 16% said retrenchment, which means laying people off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Department so, of euphemisms. Uh, even, even a higher percentage of companies are holding steady or expanding, then people feel like they're secure or somewhat secure. And that that's typical for these sorts of employee confidence. Like they perceive right. their company to be doing better than they are because we're more nervous about ourselves, in sure. our company, which is, you know, totally fair. Um, so the, the underlying indicators for publishing industry, the sort of raw number health seem really good. Um, the workforce change is really interesting. Maybe it could be there. It does seem like there are more people being hired. And I guess I, this one theory, again, this is just theory. If you're a new hire and you get your first publishing weekly salary survey, probably more likely to fill it out the first mm -hmm. time you have a chance to, right? Right. Um, so there could be some uh, uh, response bias sure. just because they're the ones that have the time or energy and they haven't done it for 10 years already. And it'll be interesting. We talked about, I think we've talked a couple of times about the uh, publishing diversity workforce survey that Lee and Lowe Publishers has been mm -hmm. uh, sort of conducting. A, they, they're they getting ready to do it. They've been campaigning essentially for the big five to get on board and to share that data. And hopefully it, when they do, I know we talked about some of the bigger houses have agreed to release that information. Those numbers should be coming from inside the companies, presumably from their HR departments, from forms that people have filled out. Like, this is my guess slash hope. Um, and that they will be more complete sets of data about uh, who's working in these different publishing houses. It'll be really interesting to see what those numbers look like against the self-report numbers and sort of have a sense of uh, how representative these publishers weekly survey responses are or are not, or at least be able to take some guesses about it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that'll include salary information, but we'll get a. It'll be interesting to see if that eighty-nine percent white number goes up or down um, when publishers actually release the data sets about how people self-identify in their workforces. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, where do you want to go next? Hmm. Let's talk about. Let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about this romance bookstore. Ah, uh, yes. So tell me about this. So uh, the Ripped Bodice is going to be an exclusively romance bookstore opening in L.A. in the spring of 2016. They are conducting a Kickstarter right now. Um, their goal is $90,000, and they're at just over 42000 with 27 days left. So they're cooking. Uh, and this is going to be the first exclusively romance bookstore in the country. Which, which is both surprise, not surprising and shocking simultaneously. I think it's bonkers. Uh, well, I'm not surprised insofar as uh, if you would have said 
is there a romance only bookstore in the U.S.? I said, nah, probably not. But then when I was thinking, I was like, why not? Well, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean that's the kind are, of the reaction I'm having. There, are, I can like list half a dozen mystery only oh, bookstores, only, cookbooks only. only, right? Like in in other so genre, there are sci-fi bookstores out the wazoo. Yeah. Like other forms of genre fiction that have avid, passionate readerships and communities around them have exclusively that genre bookstore. And I just am kind of baffled. I'm, I guess I'm not surprised. I'm really disappointed that there wasn't one before, but not surprised that I have to be disappointed in that because romance just gets, there's so much stigma around reading romance. Yeah. And the two women who it's are It's really starting, coming out of the spinner rack, though. Yeah. The, I mean, I think, the, I mean, maybe it's because what we do and how we cover books, but it does feel that way. And this is another, yeah, the, uh, you know, sort of data point the, in that. The two women who are launching the store named B and Leah Cook or Koch, I'm not sure how they pronounce yeah. it. And they say when they discovered the romance genre, they discovered the incredible community that was there. There were smart, funny, engaged readers who love to talk about the books. Um, but they also discovered how much stigma is attached to the genre. And of course, that's also it's baffling because readers are buying romance to the tune of over a billion dollars a year, um, according to data from the Romance mm -hmm. Writers of America. So financially, the romance genre is doing more than just fine. And it's it is, I think, mind boggling that there's no physical space uh, just devoted in book selling to romance enthusiasts. Also, we know just anecdotally, we we both know a bunch of romance readers who have had the experience of going into a bookstore and asking for romance and being told we don't stock that. Like there has been mm -hmm. sort of a culture of snobbery. I think it's decreasing, uh, but there's been a culture of snobbery around romance for a long time uh, in publishing and book selling. And many independent bookstores had looked down their noses at it. So these ladies are going to be fixing that and um, they're going to have events they're going to have the minerva library which is named after one of the first circulating libraries in regency england it's a romance of the month book club where you can buy a six month or a 12 month membership they're gonna have other book clubs and community events charitable giving whenever they can uh, you know like all kickstarters there's a nice layout of what they need the money for and how they're going to spend it you can get some cool swag but i am so glad this is going to exist and so sad that it took us this long to get a, an all romance bookstore yeah it's great um also they break down their costs for the mm -hmm. which from just sort of a a book lover's point of view is interesting it to is. see them price out the bookstore for example how much do you think it would cost to stock an 1150 square foot bookstore and they have some assumptions 50 dollars per square foot of selling space romance novels cost four to seven dollars each for booksellers so seven and twelve books per square foot blah 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 they come up with $57,000 just to put books on the shelves to even mm -hmm. start selling. Fixtures and furniture is $18,000. Computer equipment, point of sale, system, signage, sound, publicity, promotion, fourteen five, um, ninety yeah, grand. Is this includes any salary or anything else. This is just the the basically the 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 physical cost mm -hmm. of getting it set up where you could actually put a person in there to start selling books. Really interesting, especially if you are one of the many of us harboring that someday I'll open a bookstore dream. You yeah. can you can see how much money you might need to be squirreling ninety grand to do that. And that doesn't include rent or anything. Right. I or marketing think. or well, I, promotion, mm, it's yeah. built into the, everything right. else. But they've got a rent a space. It's going to be closed for a while while they outfit it. Mm -hmm. So they're definitely not asking I think this is something that people are smart about on Kickstarter too. They don't ask for the public to fund everything right. necessarily, but you know, a core piece of the business to get started. Some nice rewards there. That one question, and I don't know. Again, I, I only follow the romance circles tangentially, and it's only when there's like a hot 
button issue. But I have seen some people say that they don't like the phrase in when people are writing about romance that aren't romance readers, like bodice ripper. Mm. So I'm, I was curious to see that they chose that name and maybe it's sort of a, a wink and a nod yeah, sort of situation. I, I read it as um, like a cheeky reclaiming. Yeah, but 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 a lot of people who don't know anything about romance and don't know to wink and nod at it are going to see a romance bookstore called The Rip. I just thought it was an interesting choice. That's, yeah, that's the mean, only thing that I thought was interesting. I got to say, I I don't I think if you're not going to go into a romance bookstore, you're not going to go into oh, a romance sure, yeah. bookstore. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. What could they now I'm just down the rabbit hole. Like what could they have called mm -hmm. it? It's not the ripped bodice that might have enticed someone who oh, doesn't I, think I got into one. Yeah, okay. Chipotle. 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 <laughs> And then you walk in and, and it's like, surprise. Yeah. What do you mean? I don't see how we're, I don't see how we're misleading you. So we're just going to call everything Chipotle. Because it's spicy. <laughs> spicy. <laughs> I, Michelle and I were in a mall yesterday and there was a, like a tween clothing store called Torrid. Yeah. Like, that would uh -huh. be a good name for a romance. That would store. be a good name. Torrid anyway, would be good. Anyway, they, they, I mean, I think for their community, like, that's, yeah. it's a great name. I just was like, oh, that's interesting that they, they kind of are right. reappropriating the cliche. And it's kind of like uh, what Sarah Wendell does at Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Like, she's writing about romance in a really intelligent, passionate, fun way. And so she gets to yeah. wink at calling them trashy because she's no, no, not called. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so that is will be interesting. See, Los Angeles. Um, you know, I, as good a place as anywhere, I suppose. I hadn't really thought about, you know, where, if you were opening a romance mm -hmm. store, you open it, but, um, I want to go on LA a field is, trip there. LA is a, you know, people go there, so you're gonna have a lot of visitors. Okay. We've got, you know, we've got some, um, movie, interesting movie news, but mm -hmm. maybe we should do another sponsor. Why don't we you tell We should them about do it? another sponsor. Penguin Random House Audio is back. And this fall, they are talking all about book clubs. We are into book clubs and you know that a book club is a really good excuse to get together with your friends on a regular basis. That to me is honestly the most appealing part of a book club. I consistently fail at actually reading the book club book, but I will show up and be so enthusiastic. Um, you can, you know, get together, hang out, talk about books. If you are like me and you fail to read the book club book, you might want to try doing an audio version of it. Because as Jeff has said on so many other episodes, there are all these little moments in your day that you can fill in audiobooks for five minutes or, you know, for 10 minutes while you're doing the dishes or 20 minutes while you're prepping dinner or whatever. And then before you know it, all those minutes add up and you have actually read the book club book. You have put it into your ears. Uh, so you can add that dimension to your reading life. You also would be able to talk about the narration you've experienced the story differently than the other members of your book club have. I think this is really smart of Penguin Random House uh, to be taking this angle on talking about audiobooks. Um, if you want to give audiobooks a try, but you don't know where to start, you can go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club. They'll give you some title suggestions and some other advice to help you get going. Uh, if you want to do sort of a self-help theme in your book club, Rising Strong by Brene Brown, which I just adore, uh, is out on audio. We've talked a couple of times about The Martian being great on audio. It really, really is. That would be a fun one for a book club. You could catch up on The Adventures of Lizbeth Salander. The Girl in the Spider's Web is out on Penguin Random House Audio. And there are just so many, so many of the years big books. Uh, Kitchens of the Great Midwest has been getting a lot of buzz. Uh, I think that would be a perfect book club selection. It's there. 
These are just a few of them. You could read Mindy Kaling's new book, Why Not Me? Mm -hmm. She is excellent, just so excellent on audio. There are really just tons of choices. Uh, so go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club. Check out title suggestions. Start noodling on, you know, how you can get those titles picked by your book club. And then give the audiobooks a shot for, you know, all those moments in your day for your commute, going to pick the kids up from school, taking them to soccer, whatever it is. Uh, you can make that downtime into book time. And then you won't be the book club bummer. I have, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm falling out of... I got my new library card. I'm all set up. So mm -hmm. I, I got that. The lovely people at the Belmont branch of the Multnomah County Library got me all set up. Um, but I've kind of, I'm in a reading slump. I'm in a new place. I'm mm -hmm. in my routine set up. But, and I have been, instead of turning to books for my downtime, I've been playing stupid iPhone games. <laughs> but I can listen to an audiobook while playing my stupid iPhone game. Ah. So like, even if, even if you're not, even if you are in a place where you could be reading a physical book, like you can do something like that mm -hmm. where, you know, I'm, I'm relaxing at the end of the day, you can multitask. So that's one situation I've found too, where I can sort of keeping up a little bit. But uh, anyway, I'll talk, I'll talk some more about picks in an upcoming segment. But uh, thanks so much to Penguin Random House Audio for sponsoring this and other episodes of the Book Riot Podcast and other, our other podcasts like yes. Reading Lives and all Dear the Book Nerd and Get Book and all books. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know if we said this on the show because I think it happened while I was out. Um, but we passed a couple weeks ago, 1 million total downloads for yeah, this show. We didn't talk about it. We just we shot didn't off talk about the that. confetti yeah. cannons behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and so thank you all so much for listening. So th basically what that means is that that's a million downloads of individual episodes. So if you've been living, li listening since the beginning, you account for 127 downloads, um, basically. Uh, but that's that's a big milestone for us. We enjoyed doing it. Um, and uh, thank you so much for your continued support. Yes, that was you so can tell exciting. in this. You can tell in stats that someone gets they're a new listener, they go back and listen to a bunch because like people are still listening to like episode one. I, I mean, know. They're, they're going back and listening to, which is funny. We didn't think that would happen because it's a new show, basically. Mm -hmm. But you Whereas can catch lives, up on like two and a half yeah. years of publishing stuff pretty quickly. Right, right. And uh, but like with Dear Book Nord or Reading Lives or Get Booked, especially like those are more timeless because, you know, interviews with people and mm -hmm. recommendations. All the books a little more timely, too, right, because it's releases. things coming out this week. Um, but that was funny. Uh, we're, I was talking since doing the show, I think both of us, we were both interested in book news before, but now we're like in the weeds of it all. Yes. And people send um, us so much stuff. Oh, I know. Yeah. And thank you so much for doing that. But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Um, and I just wanted to, to highlight that that's, that that's more about you guys than mm -hmm. us. Yeah. We salute um, you with our donuts listeners. this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I lift, I lift a, a Boston cream pie in your general direction. Um, <laughs> That Let's is the correct see. donut choice for all yeah. celebrations. Yeah. Oh, here's one. Amazon finally getting off its giant green duff. Now that they make $30 billion in quarterly revenue, maybe they finally can afford this. Um, <laughs> this is I'm interesting not about in that. so many ways. Yeah. So I, I, I think we maybe have talked about this phenomenon before. But there are these websites out there. Fiverr is perhaps the most famous one. And it's not the only thing it does. But basically, you could pipe five bucks and people do a task for you. Mm -hmm. And one thing people list on there is they'll review something for you and guarantee a good review. Um, and they've been doing it for Amazon reviews. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of people doing it. Uh, anyway, so this is one situation. This is one uh, what, marketplace for this kind of review. And this is not the only one. There's there's a, a bunch of them oh, there. I'll there link to this bunch. consumerist article if you want to get into actual the the names of the websites and it's a problem and we've talked about this before amazon review sections are a problem for a variety of reasons 
Go ahead. It's like, I think it's kind of widely known or believed at least that about a third of all online consumer reviews are fake. Yeah, but you don't know which one, right, so that makes right. it impossible, that's, that's right? That's part of the problem. Amazon is going after 1,114 people who have written fake reviews for money. They're not going over this after the sites, the platforms, Fiverr, or these other ones, but the actual people who are making it available. Basically saying they're, they're, they, Amazon dispatched investigators to buy reviews. They kind of did a, you know, uh, what they call it in the wire, a, uh, God, a buy and bust, right? Where mm-hmm. you go buy drugs from someone and then arrest them for selling drugs, um, which I don't know how that's not entrapment, but that's a different question. I'm not a legal scholar. It's very cloak and um, dagger. This is really Yeah, funny. so, and they're, they're doing it. So, they they also allege third-party sellers will ship empty boxes to paid reviewers pretending that the item in question was inside because you have to have a verified purchase <laughs> to do a lot of reviewing now. So there's a lot of this like, you know, shell yeah. game, Thomas Crown I, Affair situation I love going on. this sentence. This led to the rather surreal situation where sellers would explain their strategies for evading detection by Amazon to a representative of Amazon. Right. Um, so, and I don't really know... I don't know the law, right? I don't right. know what is being sued. I tried to look at the brief, but I got about six sentences into it and I blacked out from legalese. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anyone knows any better about this, and even even the couple of write-ups I saw didn't, clearly they weren't, they weren't legal scholars either. Um, let's see. Unreasonably discriminatory under Section 202A of the Act. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty clear that something is afoot here. Like, you shouldn't be able to do this. Um, and, and we'll leave it to the Federal Communications Commission to decide right. w- what's Presumably to be done. Presumably, viol- I would think it violates Amazon's terms of service. Uh, if you're an Amazon user and you're, you know, faking your purchase that's supposed to be a real purchase before you can review a thing, and then you're faking the review, and it says... Even some of the review writers weren't even offering to do the writing work. They were just ta- asking the client to give them the text that they wanted posted, and they were selling the use mm-hmm. of their identities and their Amazon accounts. Like, you just send me the thing, and I'll post it through my account that presumably is considered to be legit, and then you can you know, have that out in the world. I guess they could maybe be arguing that these people are defrauding Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're doing, you know, they're 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 saying they're shipping them things, and they're actually reading it. And probably when you sign your end user license agreement with Amazon, you said if you review this, I've actually read this book. So it's fraudulent behavior, and they can sue them for damages. I right. would think. Right. I can only um, review this vacuum cleaner because I actually purchased it from Amazon. Yes. And have you used agree it. by right. signing this agreement, you agree that you bought this and you are not being paid to write right. it. And the book. <laughs> Click. Yeah, right. The box right. that came to my house actually had a vacuum cleaner in it. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 is that's super bad. And I again, I think this is one of those things where they're not going to be able to get everybody, but they want to put the fear of God into mm-hmm. you that the Amazon's legal department may come a knocking. Right. Yeah, I was talking to Bob about it. And I was like, you know, a thousand seems really like that has to be just a drop in the bucket of the number of Amazon users that are doing this. If yeah. really a third of all online reviews are fake or even anywhere close to it, but this is enough to come out looking serious. Um, and, and and when jerks like us talk about it, like they're suing a thousand people, like it sounds like a big number, right? Sure. It's not just like one dude. Well, it, it you know, it kind of reminded me of when Napster went like... I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah when go. the music companies first started going after Napster users. And it was like they were going after the users who had a lot 
who had been pirating a lot of music. But, you know, like I had, you know, like a couple CDs off of Napster at the time and it made me pause. Like, oh, well. oh, yes. I mean, if they could find them. Do I them... really want Poison by Belle Div DeVoe? Right. I mean, how bad do I want <laughs> right. to have that for free? Rather? Exactly. Well, the other thing about that is you couldn't just go buy a digital track. I mean, that's a separate thing. Like you right. couldn't just yeah, to get one digitally was, was a lot harder. You had right. to buy the whole album. iTunes blah, blah, blah. wasn't really a thing yet, but it was uh, it was huge when those things first came yeah. out and that you could share music. And then when you know they started cracking down on it i remember seeing like there would be a couple new spots that in retrospect i think that you know the companies must have been strategic about like we're mostly yeah. gonna crack down on the people some who some random college guy right, in who has, iowa and, just got nailed oh my god and he has like <laughs> right and he has like 12 songs from napster yeah. like he hasn't even done anything serious he maybe has more songs than you know like i have more songs than he does but, like that was enough to scare me <laughs> Yeah, and, it was kind of like they do in torture. The first thing they do is they just show you the instruments. Mm-hmm, they just right. here, here's what These it looks exist. like. Yeah, just so you just so you know, this is a thing. This that is can what's going to ha- can happen. Um, so really again, I think this is this is good for everybody involved. I mean, because really, this is this is they're just trying to scam people. Like really, what's happening? And people don't say this enough with fake reviews. Is they're trying to defraud customers, mm-hmm. right? Because I go on to look for a, a book. And I'm looking through reviews to decide if I make it. And if they're all fake, I'm not getting good information. Right. And the author of that book is paying a third party to defraud me. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah. And so, of course, I'm I'm shocked. Why Why is it taking so long? I mean, I don't know what to do about this because they have so many reviews. I don't know how you police this any better than they do. They could have done this a long time mm-hmm. ago. But, like, is this just a cesspool we have to deal with? Like. When they made it that you had to have a verified purchase, that was a step in the right, right. direction. So at least you had to go through this shell game of blah, blah, blah. But like, is there any hope? I was trying to think like, is there any hope yeah. that these can get any better? And I just There's, don't know. I don't know. There's got to be some sort of like maybe linguistic analysis or logarithmic something. That, oh, some sort of natural language processing. Right. Something yeah. that they could do. Like, I think all bloggers have a sense of like if you're on goodreads or you're on amazon um or even the comments of a book blog and somebody has made a critical comment you get a you can tell pretty quickly if the person responding to write about how amazing the book is is really like Mm -hmm. the author's mom or sister or you know the author with a different name Uh, and maybe you know there's got to be some sort of technical technological solution there to identify like the language that's used over and over in these fake reviews or some thing like the difference between a real person writing about a thing and someone faking a positive thing or like i mean i don't don't know i haven't seen it on amazon probably because of the verified purchase thing but there are publishers reviewing their own books on goodreads under their publisher name you know like imprint name goes here and then they're posting reviews of their own books and like no one thinks that's unbiased um that's Mm. interesting especially i guess with amazon owning goodreads but if they were doing that on amazon uh if an imprint you know were doing it on amazon or like i don't know you probably can't track down like names of people who work for publishers and then look at their uh, amazon history to see if they're reviewing the books that their publisher sells but it's all it's very uh it's a tangled web here (laughs) yeah very tricky i mean you're just dealing your internet scale, so you can't do human curation. You can't right. verify. I mean, there's just really be, nothing you can do. It has to, to be, be magic, technological magic. But all systems like that can be gamed. I mean, like we work, for example, with mm-hmm. no one has bigger algorithms than Google, 
and especially around their ad serving. Right. Like no one is in Google has probably even more incentive to make sure no one's gaming to no one to reduce the gamification, the gaming of their system than Google because they sell bad ads and people don't buy. Whereas here with Amazon, it's sort of a tertiary effect that affects Amazon that mm-hmm. people don't trust the reviews. So anyway, but Google has more of a invested reason to do the best right. they can with people doing scammy stuff and they can't. They can't yeah. do everything. I mean, we see stuff that appears on the site. They're like, what the hell is going on here? How did this get through? Yeah. yeah I've so seen, it's. I've seen some interesting sort of critical slash cynical maybe uh, interpretation of this step by Amazon where people have said essentially like, well, Amazon's only doing this now because Amazon has realized that it hurts Amazon having these fake reviews. They're not really doing it like, I guess, for the right reasons. And the right reasons would be just to protect customers. But I I kind of don't care about that at this point. Like they have realized that these fake reviews are a problem and that it hurts customers and therefore the customers buy less from Amazon. And so like whatever it took for Amazon to realize that this was a problem, I'm really glad that they're starting to do something about it and at least rattling their sabers in a meaningful way towards these 1000 unnamed defendants that hopefully this, you know, creates a little more paying attention to what's happening over there. Huh. Yeah, I mean, the motivation, I don't care. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It's like, okay, that sounds like a little bit of sour grapes to me. Like, mm-hmm. the this this one is this one is the right thing to do, and the motivation for doing it doesn't matter uh, to me at this point. Um, all right, let's we'll see. Weird uh, TV movie news? Weird, yeah, this one. Um, so Shonda Rhimes, who is the mastermind behind... Uh, Let's see, Grey's Anatomy now, Mm -hmm. Scandal, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder. Her company, Shondaland Productions, is going to produce a series based on a book that is a sequel to Romeo and Juliet. I mean, if you're making a humor list of books that would be tough to make a sequel to, I think Romeo and Juliet's like right up there. The stars die at the end of the first one. Well, isn't that the joke that Steve Coogan movie Hamlet 2, where he's like a high school theater teacher and like Hamlet 2 is his brain. I was like, Hamlet 2? Hamlet's dead. (laughs) Um, But it's going to... Oh, go ahead. The book is called Still Star-Crossed. Had you heard of this? I'd never heard of it before, no. Yeah, me neither. Um, but it's going to focus on the Montagues and the Capulets and the fallout from the events of Romeo and Juliet, which I get. I mean, there's there's characters there. Mm-hmm. It's not like Hamlet. It's not like Hamlet where like, literally everyone is dead and they just bring in like this third party guy who's like, I guess this is my kingdom now. And Horatio's <laughs> sitting there crying. You know, you get Bonvolio's left over. Right. I think you, you get the nurse, the, apoca- yeah, the apothecary can't be feeling posse. good. Yeah, Benvolio's around. Let's see, who's dead? Mercutio's dead. Oh, spoiler alert for Romeo and Juliet. Um, <laughs> I don't but, even you know, remember. The, the parents are still there. So, like, Romeo and Juliet are the only, and Mercutio, I think, are the only casualties. Tybalt, Prince of Cats, I think he's, I can't remember if he gets killed. So, no, Romeo kills Tybalt, and then they come after Mercutio, or vice versa. I can't remember the timeline, but Tybalt, Prince of Cats, I think, is also dead. With the most random subtitle where? in all of Shakespeare is that he's Prince of Cats. I, I don't know why. Um, so anyway, I mean, she, she's good at drama and relationships mm-hmm. and Shonda especially. Um, and you get a built in tension and I should be, int- I don't, does it say it's a period piece? I is it set in like don't Italy know. in the 16th Man, century? I hope this is like Shonda Rhimes meets Baz Luhrmann, like oh, contemporary old, but also old. I don't know. I think I need to look up the synopsis of still star-crossed and figure out like who are the star-crossed people in this story? Because the original star-crossed people are dead. Yeah. They're not star-crossed anymore. They're they're they went supernova. Um, they're gone. Uh, 
But anyway, that, I thought that was that's surprising a thing that's going to happen. Too. I mean, the other nice thing about Shakespeare is uh, it's uh, public domain, <laughs> <laughs> right. so you can you can sort of do whatever you do whatever you want with it. It doesn't say. Um, I want to look this up. We'll do some follow up next yeah, week about we need to, uh, what we need if to you know. Have, if you are listening to this and you have read Still Starcrossed and you would like to tell us what you think this TV show is going to be, because this the piece in Variety says that for Shondaland, the foray into young romance marks somewhat of a new genre. Um, but who's going to who? be the young romance? Are there I other siblings hanging in the waiting in the weeds? Um, uh, Dromeo and uh, uh, Juliet. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, I, anyway, many questions, uh, it's interesting. But I'm, it's going to be, an, I, I will watch a new Shonda TV show. I'm already looking forward to bookish Twitter exploding when that comes out. That'll yeah. Be- I wonder if like the first episode is like they walk into the church and like, whoops, mm. there they are. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm one just from sort or of like a, someone from Romeo's side and someone from Juliet's side come looking for them and meet in the church and then they fall for yeah, each they other fall in love. yeah they fall in love over the caskets i don't i'm gonna watch the first episode just from a narrative point of view like how do they choose to start it and mm-hmm. where do they pick up and things like that okay okay um i got we gotta do our last sponsor before we get to new books here run out of time we do so audible is back do you love books but you never have the time to read them well, it's not it's not just that, but if that's one thing you want to read more books and you're looking for ways to get them, well, audible.com, the perfect solution, get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read on the go. At the gym, during commute, Audible provides over 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers and business information providers. The app is free, works on iPhones, iPads, Androids and Windows phone. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 other MP3 players. I don't know who has just a regular MP3 player lying around these days, but if you do, chances are you can get it to work with Audible. Unlike streaming or rental services with Audible, you own your book. So if you deactivate your account, cancel your subscription, the files are still there, you can still use your Audible app to, to play it right from your smartphone or tablet. Great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. This is one that I don't know we've talked about this in detail before, but I've used this a couple of times. I have too. It's great. It's great. One, I bought. I accidentally bought an abridged version of something I didn't want abridged, uh, Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods, which I listened to when I was driving back and forth to Seattle a couple weeks ago. Um, and I accidentally bought the abridged version. I was like, no, I don't want the abridged version. Give me, give me, give me the full fat, uh, the full fat version. Um, and it was easy. You just go in, you return it, no questions asked. It happens right there. You don't have to submit a ticket and wait. It's just right mm-hmm. there. It goes back. One time I bought a book and I could not stand the narration. I just, I literally couldn't deal with the narrator. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to give it back. So I've only done it a handful yeah. of times. Um, and they're super great about, you know, it's, it's really great. So it takes some of the, you are paying for the books directly here. It's not a rental service, like some other things where you could just sort of sample. It's not streaming. So you're actually paying. So you're putting some money out and Audible recognize like that. And audiobooks I think are different because there's not a great way to sample them. It's not like you can go to a library or bookstore and read five pages and see if you like it. Eight, 10, 15, in the case of David McCullough's Truman, 51 hours, um, listening to a particular book. You really want to know that you're, you're making sort of a, a commitment to the book. And if he doesn't work out, you know, within the first hour or so, you can give it back anytime. So that's a really another, another one that's good too. Um, just for our listeners, audible.com is offering a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash book today to get a free trial started. Uh, I am just starting. I've been putting off Cyril Val books for whatever. Oh, sort of- don't wait. 
Um, and now I'm started. I'm starting with the Wordy Shipmates, which I'm really looking forward that's to. That's my favorite one. Um, so that's where I am right now. I mentioned I listened to Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods mm-hmm. uh, recently. Coming out December 15th, one of his books that hasn't been available that I've been looking forward to, to listening to is uh, Mother Tongue, which is his book about the English language. So I'm looking forward to Mother Tongue by Bill Bryson. It comes out December 15th. Bill Bryson, Pop History. That's where I am. That's yeah, that's where I'm going good with stuff. This. Sarah Vowell, she just has a new book called, about Lafayette, mm-hmm. which I can't remember the exact title of, but that's a new book. She's on tour. And her book, The Partly Cloudy Patriot, is really great on audio because it has like a bajillion guest stars that mm. play different historic characters, historic oh, people good. that do, they do the voices for them in like the interactions that she's imagining that they had. It's really great. And, it's, and they're short. Like this one's only like a five hour audio book, which means like, I guess it's probably about 200 pages mm-hmm. or so. And so I, I'm guessing I'm like I had a Devin McCullough binge. I think I have a Sarah Valve yeah. binge coming with Unfamiliar Fishes, Assassination Vacation, and a couple of Yeah, the, the Wordy Shipmates pop. is my favorite. I think you're starting with the best I think one. that's why I started you, with this one because I think I remember you, you saying You can't go – I love like the Puritan stuff is a weird section of my wheelhouse. Oh, yeah, you and like cults. There's so much great Puritan stuff and like, the relationship that Jonathan Edwards has with one of the other pastors. You get like the gossipy letters they wrote each other. <laughs> it's – so wonderful like he wasn't just doing the spider dangling over the pits of hell sinners in the hand of an angry god sermon mm-hmm. which is like maybe one of my favorite things in american literature period uh, but it, she's so good the cerebral commentary is so good i'm excited for you to experience that so thanks to audible.com for sponsoring uh, the book riot podcast okay tell me about so some couple new books. books one of my favorite books of the year came out this week it's the mark and the void by paul murray he wrote skippy dies which hey. is another one of my favorites it's been five years since we had a paul murray book and oh. i am so pleased that the wait is over this one it's great uh it, this is about a banker named claude uh, he's a french guy who's living in dublin he's working for a huge investment bank and he notices that this man is following him around like he looks out his office window and this guy is sitting in black at a at a bench across the street he looks up at lunch and the guy is across the restaurant and he doesn't really think anything of it he just thinks the man is kind of weird uh, but the guy talks to him one day and says he's a novelist his name is Paul uh, like the novelist oh, of this no. actual book, okay. Paul Murray. So there's a little metafiction thing happening. And Paul, the novelist in the book, um, wants to, is telling Claude, he's writing a new novel. He wants it to be a contemporary everyman story. And he believes that, you know, these days the everyman is somebody who goes to work for a big corporation where he doesn't totally know what the corporation is doing. This money sort of changes hands in an imaginary way, like investment banks don't actually keep cash on hand. Uh, and he wants to follow around Claude in his investment bank and get a sense of the everyman's life so that he can research it for his novel. But what's actually going on is that Paul wants to rob the bank. And he wants to, he's got Claude as his mark. That goes sideways very quickly. Um, But the two of them strike up this weird friendship where they cook up kooky ideas and are trying to get Paul's life back on track. And Claude is trying to figure out sort of all of his existential angst about being an investment banker. And so there's this great sort of satirical take on writing, but also on contemporary politics and finance and how ethereal the things are that uh, are the foundation of modern life 
safe. Um, there's a lot of stuff built in about the collapses of so many big banks in 2008 and 2009. And then really great biting commentary about writers and publishing that um, even if you're just a little bit book world adjacent, you will appreciate uh, you will appreciate those. That's just the added bonus uh, to this book. It's so great. Paul Murray's brain is a wonderful place to spend some time. The book is dark, but not too dark. It's cynical, but not too cynical. It's really funny. I thought it was a blast. Uh, and like Paul, the novelist in the book, um, cooks up these weird business ideas. Like one of them is a website where you can track your favorite hot waitress and, uh, oh, you know, no. make sure that she's working the day that you want to go have lunch and which section she's in. And he just thinks that this is brilliant. Uh, and Claude is trying to explain to him why it's creepy. But you can, you know, if you've spent any time on the internet, you can imagine what how the bad idea committee begins. Uh, and Paul, the character, sort of lives on the bad idea committee. It's it's really wonderful. So that's The Mark and the Void by Paul Murray. Uh, on the nonfiction side, there's a great collection of essays out this week called You Don't Have to Like Me by Alita Nugent. Uh, she These are collections uh, that are all the pieces in the collection talking is hard uh, are about feminism and being a young woman uh, in America today she writes about being biracial how finding her identity as a feminist helped her understand her multiple racial identities she writes about friendships uh, she writes about beauty and fitness she had an eating disorder and she writes really openly and honestly about that um, and she writes about you know safety and the threats of rape and assault and uh, what it takes to remember to stay safe safe and to have to think about that constantly as a young woman today. Uh, she's a little younger than me. I think she's in her late 20s, uh, mid to late 20s, and is writing for that audience. I wish that there had been books like this about feminism when I was coming up as a younger feminist. Um, her voice was a lot of fun to spend time with. She's smart and funny uh, and just very candid. And the title of the book, You Don't Have to Like Me, comes from, you know, if you've talked about feminism, especially on the internet, you understand that uh, not everyone is going to like you for that. And you just got to get comfortable with it. That's part of the deal. Uh, so that's a great one as well. Um, if there are young feminists in your life that you're looking uh, for a book gift for, you don't have to like me, it would be a great gift for them as well. So those are the new books this week. Oh, those are good picks. Very good picks. That's um, the you news. You listen to your, your full new books uh, spiel every yes. week with Liberty on the All the Books podcast. You can find it on iTunes or you know, search, go to Book Riot, and it's on the podcast drop down menu. Uh, the, the, you know, go to bookriotlive.com. You're going to have a live episode of all, live tapings, all the podcasts there. Um, we've had great response from podcast listeners buying tickets. So thank you so much. We're looking forward to meeting uh, whoever, whomever among you is going to be there. We're really looking forward to it. I'm a little nervous, but I'm, it's in a good way. It's, it's going to be good. In a good way. Um, and we're not going to do our normal sign-out. That's it, bookriotlive.com. If you want to buy tickets, use offer code wheelhouse. You get the two-day ticket, $20 off that. Or single-day tickets are available there. If you want to come Friday night, $40 tickets um, for those are still available. I think there's only like 10 or 12 left, to be honest. So if you're interested in that, get on that there. We look forward to seeing you. And we got a couple more weeks. And boy, did we get a full show this week. We did. Lots of stuff. Yeah. Before too long, uh, we're going to be in December. But let's enjoy <laughs> the harvest, the book news harvest while we can. <laughs> we'll talk to you one. next week. 